This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Claret and Blue podcast. We're joined by a special guest today, the man, the legend, um, he who walks on water, Mr. Brian Little. How are you, Brian? I'm all right, Matt. Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah, everything's okay. Um, like most people, um, you know, being stuck in the house for a long time now, so... Uh, looking forward to everything being lifted and, and getting out and about again, I guess. But uh, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's good. You're um, rocking a lockdown beard. By the look of you, it makes you look look very distinguished. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just little fads. I just keeps you going. Something to do, isn't it? Really, I guess. But um, yeah, I, I don't know why, um, but it's there at the moment. I, I think I've shaved it off three. It's about the third one I've grown in the year. I think so. Uh, a couple of couple of uh, goatees in between as well. So it's been a little bit of a project for me on and off throughout the whole of the, the lockdown really no it suits you um what we're going to do brian we're going to start by taking you on a very long wonder down memory lane uh right. back to when you were a 15 15 year old boy in the northeast and the prospect of joining aston villa um first came about i remember you you, you telling this story previously about the kind of the journey that just you know when, when you kind of Left, left Newcastle and ended up at Villa. Do you want to re- relive that for us? I actually caught a train at uh, Durham Station. My mum and my dad drove me to Durham Station uh, in the Morris Minor 1000 Little Traveller with the, the wood on the back and everything, you know, and dropped me off at the train station, um, gave me £1.10 shilling and, um, and, and, and just said, right, we'll see you when we see you sort of thing. You know, it was, um, it was a massive journey, you know, and you jump on a train in those days, um, there were little carriages with about six seats and, you know, people used to come in smoking. And I remember feeling so sick on the journey, you know, because I kept having to get up and walk out to try and get a bit of fresh air. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a real, uh, you know, I mean, in those days, you know, um, basically that's how it was. You know, you, I was sent down. Um, my mum and dad were obviously pleased for me to go uh, because I was going to embark and a possible football career but I didn't know where I was going to I didn't know really who I was meeting I didn't know where I was going to stay hadn't got a clue about anything so it was you know for me a massive first step fortunately I had a brilliant landlady and landlord Mr and Mrs Mallard um, fortunately I was digs with a lad called Roy Stark who ended up being the captain of the youth team who basically looked after me the first year I was you know, it took me a long. It certainly took me three to six months to settle in, um, but it was just, uh, you know, in, in these days, you know, with academies and the way the kids are looked after, and and uh, you know, they they know everything inside out, back to front, how the how things operate. Uh, looking back at that um, at that journey, um, it is it, quite daunting, really, in the fact that I was away from home, uh, no mobile phones, nothing like that, you know. Um, my mum and dad would ring me every Sunday afternoon at about five o'clock um, uh, because they didn't have a phone at home at the time. You know, I come from a mining background, uh, 
pretty sort of average. Uh, great parents, of course, wonderful family, but we didn't have very much. So, um, you know, it was a, it was, yeah, it was, it was great because you know, I, it took me a while to settle down, but once I got my felt, found my feet, I was okay, sort of thing, you know. Is it fair to say that those youth team days were the making of you? as a man as well as a footballer because you had to kind of make sure that all your all your chores were done before you could even yeah. begin to earn the right to show what you could do on a football pitch yeah i mean you know my first day's training i remember thinking what have i done you know we we went to bar beacon up king standing and ran and ran and ran and ran with the senior players you know you are here i am 15 i'm a kid you know I'm, I'm when i look back you know i mean i didn't know anything about anything outside of peter lee where i lived at the time i didn't know anything about anything here i am throwing it at aston villa football club you know with with men um uh and, and i'm running around and i'm, I'm I, and i could run but my word it absolutely slaughtered me and then when i finished that you know we had to sweep the dressing rooms tidy up clean the toilets clean the boots do all sorts of things um and i think my first day i left at half seven in the morning and got in about seven eight o'clock at night uh, and just went to bed <laughs> i didn't eat I, I, I was just absolutely done for you know and and that was the pretty much the early that that was like repetitive on a daily basis for for a good month to six weeks before you started playing football. Preseason was terrible, you know. There was no structure to it. It was just hard work all the time, running, running, running. Um, so it was it was uh, yeah. It, it it frightened me at first, but it made an impression on me. There were certain things that went on that I always thought, God, if I was older and doing this, I wouldn't do this to people. You got you got to you know. Even then, I had a I was. I, I I had an opinion about things. I couldn't say very much in those days, and never did. But it was just it was just a very frightening experience. And I can, you know, looking back now and how we how we look about things these days, you know, you can you can understand because it was a really tough thing to get into as a kid in those days. Um, and and I've I've seen a lot of lads over the years just you know melt and think I can't do this. Uh, this is not for me. Um, Somehow I came through it. I, I I don't know how or why. I guess I had a fairly strong mentality, but um, yeah, it was a really tough, tough experience apprenticeship. Um, uh, but it, at the same time, I had at least fifteen great mates. Um, you know, we, we were split down the middle with with sort of seven or eight Scottish lads, seven or eight English lads, and we had a great time together. And um, you know, it, it was tough, but. Uh, as I said, the fact that I came through it is 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 fantastic, really, and I'm 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 pleased I did, to be honest. Did that create a real kind of camaraderie amongst you? Yeah, then? I still keep in touch with a lad called Bobby Glaze, for example, who who lives around the Dudley area. You know, he was an apprentice with me at fifteen. Um, never made it, Bobby, but we still, you know, we meet at uh, well, we can't meet for the last nearly year now, but we'd we'd meet at IKEA for a coffee on a on a, a midweek day. We still we've done that. You know, we've been doing that for a while. Um, still speak to each other, still message each other. Uh, you know, obviously I speak to one or two. My brother was part of it in those days as well, John Gidman and, and, and lads like that. Uh, but I've lost touch with quite a few, but I, I always, I know where most of them are. Uh, this year I sent a message up to Scotland to a lad called Alex McMillan, who works at Rolls-Royce up there, and he's been there for years and years and years to wish him well on his retirement. So I, I keep getting messages which relate to, to the lads I met years ago. Uh, Mickey Kearney and that lad went to, to Reading. I, you know, we were messaging each other last week. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I keep in touch. And the fact is that I 
been around Villa Park on and off the 50 year, years, um, I'm a bit of a focal point and, and they often get in touch with me about people and about the lads. So that's really nice as well. I guess that's something that I enjoy and uh, it, it's it's good to it's good to have come through it and it's it's good to think that we can still sort of talk to each other all these years on even though our paths went in completely different directions. We'll get on to what it was like to score in front of the halt in a minute, but <laughs> what was it like to sweep the halt? To be honest with you, it was good fun because it was a nightmare, but um, I, I can't tell you how much money we found on there. You know, we used to find, like, you know, in those days, 10 bob notes and we used to find two two shilling pieces half a crown things like that and, and there was a chip shop out the back of the whole end you know there was a there used to be a line of, a line of houses and a little shop a little fish shop in the end so we'd sit on the whole end at, at about 12 o'clock somebody had whatever money we'd found we'd pull together and one of the lads would run around and just bring as many chips and as many things that they could out of the and we'd sit on the on on the whole end eating eating chips and things like that so out of anything that was hard there was a way of finding good camaraderie and having fun and of course at the same time a gentleman by the name of Bert Bond who was the the groundsman at the time uh, used to tell us about you know his, his exploits in World War Two and things like that, which I don't know whether they were exaggerated or not, but they were good stories. <laughs> um, he was a brilliant, brilliant man, the, the, the groundsman. Uh, you know, we all loved him a bit. So it was that look. It was it was hard, but it was good. And the worst thing about cleaning not the terracing but the dressing rooms were um, if we didn't clean them properly, and if one person let the team down, sort of thing, we had to clean everything again. And that Brad brought, uh, I mean, there used to be a few fights every now and again, but at the same time, it made us work for each other. Um, it's not something that I would go, that I would say is good for, for this modern era, you know, that people are different, were brought up in different ways now. But in that, at that period, at that time, it was good for us. I still today, you know, I've got two teenage boys. If I see a piece of paper on that bedroom floor, I walk in and pick it up. I can't, I can't help myself. You know what I mean? I, I, it, and I keep saying to them, pick it up. You know, do it. If you don't, and I can't tell them to tidy, but I just, it's it's, imbe- it's just embedded in me now to, to, to do things like that. You know, I can't walk past a piece of paper on the floor. If I go to the shops, I make sure I put my trolley back in nice and, and, and straight. I, I don't, I see people chucking the trolleys in and I'm going... God, how's your apprentice had got slaughtered for that, you know? So it's just there, it's in the brain now. So I, it's good, you know, it was great for me. It, it was it was something that worked for me. I can see how it doesn't work for some people, though, you know, but it was tough, but I enjoyed it. We've mentioned the beard that you're wearing for lockdown, but um, I know from, from looking in your book um, <laughs> that there's a great story about a haircut uh, oh, involving yeah. the number seven bus. Yeah, well, uh, Frank Upton, who was brilliant for me um when he came as the youth coach frank was a big tough center half who who was again one of those real disciplinarians but in a nice way he was always nice to to the lads but he was he, w- he wouldn't let you off with anything um but he never treated anybody badly or anything like that but uh he, frank I, I was starting to grow my hair and he just got hold of me one day and right come on you're coming with me and i'm going where just follow me for a bit and took me out the ground worked down nelson road down to where Witten Island is, and um, and I'm saying, what's happening? He's saying, yeah, I'm your hair cut, and I'm going, I don't want my hair cut. I'm not, I'm not having it cut. He went, you are. I said, I'm not. I, I don't want my hair cut. He said, you are. You've got to tidy yourself up a little bit. So anyway, um, we get about forty yards away from the 
the the barber shop which is on the on the island at Witten or was um, and the bus had pulled in and in those days that that opened back so you could and a, and a metal rod so you could get hold of that and jump on so I saw the bus there and I thought it's about to leave now so I just suddenly took off and I just took off and ran and jumped on the bus and as I jumped on the bus, I held on to the, 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 the silver pole and just rolled and waved at him. So, see you, Frank. <laughs> and then I suddenly thought, I shouldn't be doing this, really, should I not? You know, I was one of them. I was just one of them daft things. So I went back to my digs, saw my landlady, Mrs. Mallard, and said, I think I might get the sack tomorrow, Mrs. Mallard. I've just run away from the club. And she went, what? what are you and so I told her the story. And anyway, she said, well, look, knowing how football was in those days, pack your bags and take your ba- take it with you. And if, if they send you home, well, you know, I'm going to miss you. But <laughs> So anyway, I went in the next day and um, I got told to see the manager. Um, so I went upstairs to see the manager, and um, who was Vic Crow at the time. And uh, I said, uh, I'm sorry, but I, he said, no, no, it's not a problem, Brian. Here's your contract here. And it was, it, was my, it was a professional contract. And I, I don't know for whatever reason, but Frank thought I might have to have my hair cut nice and tied for a picture if I was having my picture taken. But all he had to do was tell me, but he wouldn't tell me because he was told not to tell me. So it ended up being a bit of a silly thing, sort of, you know. And I ran away from the club, thought I was going to get the sack, but I ended up signing a professional the next morning, which was which was quite funny, really, to say the least. So I think you made your debut, I think, if I'm right in saying, it was... In seventy one, October yeah. seventy one, against yeah. Blackburn, is that right? Was that was that a substitute appearance? Yeah, I came on for David Gibson. David was brilliant to me and John Gidman. Um, uh, yeah, I, I came on as a sub against Blackburn, one four one. I don't really remember too much about the game, in all fairness, or or, or you know whether they were, I, I I gave too much to the game or not. I can't really remember that much. It was just all of the days. Um, <laughs> but David, David Gibson, we always played like a lot of small sided, like one v ones, two v twos, three v threes, and and whenever we played those games, David Gibson, who was one of the older pros, always picked me and John Gidman in his team, and and you know he used to talk to us all the time, and uh, and he was brilliant for me and Giddy. Um, so I, you know the fact that I replaced him on on the team again was was nice, but um, because I knew I know he would have been pleased. I knew he was pleased about it. Uh, to this day, if I see David, um, you know he, he still talks to me about football. Still talks about how games should be played. Still talks about the modern players and what they should be doing and shouldn't be doing. He's such a a, a football crackpot. Really loves it, you know. Um, but he took me under his wing um, and and Giddy and. Um, uh, I, I think people like him, Andy Lockhead, Bruce Rioch, uh, Ray Graydon, Jeff Bowden, those type of players were always good to me um, and, and were a big influence on me when I was young. But, um, yeah, I, I, I played when I was 17 in the first team uh, and made my full debut later on when I was 18 later on in the season. Can you remember your first of your 82 goals? Yeah, the first one was Torquay on my debut, yeah. It wasn't a great goal, but it was a goal. And I'd, I'd, I'd been involved with one or two of the other goals helping out. Um, felt great, you know, because uh, before the game, we, we marched around the, 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 the stadium with the FA Youth Cup. We'd won the FA Youth Cup. Um, <coughs> and uh, we'd beaten Liverpool in the, in the FA Youth Cup final. As a third division football club, for the first time in its history, Villa in the third division, it was a tremendous achievement, um, 
and I remember scoring two goals in in the final at, at Anfield. Um, and their best player was Phil Thompson, who who also went through and had a great career, didn't he, Phil? Um, <clears throat> but we had a good team, uh, good group of lads who worked together as apprentices. Um, who got on well together. The great thing was my brother was in the team with me. Um, Roy Stark was the captain of the team. John Gidman was the team. Bobby MacDonald was in the team. Um, Jake Finley, the goalkeeper. So many of us went on to, to have decent careers. Dougie George, who people might not know, but went off to Holland and played in Holland, at, at top-class football in Holland. Tony Betts went to America and played good football in America. So there was a good... Probably 70% of that team ended up with good careers in football, which was a tremendous, uh, a tremendous amount of players. Jimmy Brown, of course, who was you know, one of the youngest players ever to play in the first team, probably the youngest captain Aston Villa have ever had, I think, back in the 70s. So it was a, it was a good group. And, um, yeah, I, I remember parading the, the cup. And, um, and, of course, the game was, was a great game for us. We were Torquay 5-1. Uh, pretty much promoted at the time, so it was great. Did, did you like? Did you like the badge of being a professional footballer? Yeah, but I, I, I was also um, very aware of the fact that I'd, I'd just finished an apprenticeship. My brother was still an apprentice. My best mates were apprentices, so I, I didn't really dash off home after training or anything like that. I often still worked. I often still helped my brother with his job, and often still did things like that. I just. Um, I just felt that was, you know, the right thing to do. I just not not just to walk away from it. Uh, obviously, on a on a Friday, uh, um, in in the next season, you know, people like Bruce would say to me, Brian, don't hang around waiting for people. Go home, get yourself rested up, make sure you're ready for the game tomorrow. So I had good advice of people, but I, I still I still was. Well, I think I was. I'd, I'd like to think I was very grounded. I'd like to think, you know, despite having long hair and looking a bit silly at times and you know wearing three inch platform shoes when I went out at night and people saying oh you're a lot bigger than I thought you were Brian <laughs> I certainly wasn't <laughs> but I was just a bit of a you know with my 32 inch hipster trousers on bell bottoms you know what I mean I, so there was the side to me which probably made me look something that I wasn't you know but um I I just no I think I was very very grounded um I, I, it, I don't think I, I. When I was very young, I was I was still very quiet. I mean, I, how I talk like I do today, I don't know. But in, the, in those days, they couldn't get two words out of me. You know, um, I used to look and listen and learn. Me, that was always my philosophy on how I was as a kid. Don't say much, Brian. Just look, just listen, and just learn. And that's that's how I was. And I built a lot of my early stuff on that. Um, so. Um, no, I, I, I don't think I was. I don't think I, I got anywhere near carried away. I didn't start driving until I was twenty year old and things like that. So I wasn't into a car things or anything like that. Um, and when I bought my first car, my brother bought half of it for me, so it was half his as well, you know. So um, we had to look after it. Um, there, there are lots of things. No, I, 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 I think basically when I when i started to believe or not 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 change i think the year we we got promoted back to the first division i think that was when i started to really sort of come out of myself and um you know the season i had with keith leonard scoring a lot of goals um winning the league cup um i think that's and ultimately then being picked for the england team 
um, so I think it was 2021 before I really sort of took on a different phase. But that was I was still a very quiet person when I was 17, 18, 19, 20, definitely. What's that like then when you experience the kind of adulation from, from the Holt end? And, you know, you're playing in front of a, of a packed Holt end and they're feeding off you, you're feeding off them. Obviously, we only see it. We only see it from sitting in the stands. What's it like from the other side? Well, I, I loved it. I always had done. I, I, you know, the bigger the crowd, the better. The the more things that I would try to do, the more times I'd flick the ball over my head or nutmeg somebody or, or you know, I, I did things then that, like I say, you know, you, you know, people like Ron Saunders used to pull. Well, he didn't have much hair, but he'd, he'd pulled it out if he if he'd had any with me. I just do things. I, I, I just wanted to try things. I just wanted to do things. I just wanted to, you know, he used to tell me to blast the ball in the goal, but I, I used to just sort of ping it in the corner or bend it round. Or I, I just loved it, and I just loved the fact that um, I, I just loved the fact that I could do it at the time. You know, I mean, I, I and it was a tough game. Then I got kicked a lot. You know, I used to. I used to get kicked a lot and people who I played against used to say to me, I'm going to have you today, son, don't worry, I'm going to kick you. And I used to say, well, make sure you kick me in the box because I'll get a penalty then and things like that, you know. So um, I, I don't know, it was a different era completely. But I, I loved, I loved that, that's, that, that was the time when the other side of me, that real uh, show, if you can call it, if it's showy off, I don't know. if it, if, But I, I, I certainly like to, to, to show what I could do on a football field. Um, and sometimes it didn't come off. Um, but I, I'd, I'd never stopped trying to do things. I'd never, I don't think I did too many things that were easy. And um, it, it was the Saturday or the match day that I lived for all the time. Um, uh, so I, it, it, it was just, for me, um, not not listening to the crowd singing your name or anything like that. Just just the the whole atmosphere, just the whole. Uh, I've said it to people all my life. You know, the football field's a stage, and when you're on that stage, act act. Show them what you've got. Act it out. You know, be be what you want to be. Um, uh, you know, I, so for me, that was that was what it was all about. You know, it was all about the stage. I'm going on the stage. I'm going to perform on the stage. I want to show people what I can do. And I don't care if I'm showing off because afterwards I would walk and I wouldn't really say very much. I wasn't, I wasn't, wasn't really a loud person at all. Um, I was very opinionated. If I was asked, I would give an opinion. But I, I pretty much kept myself to myself, really. Can you talk me through that that iconic photo um, when you seem to be so high off the ground, probably even higher than you were in your platform shoes. You know, when you're <laughs> leaping through the air, can you can you can you tell me the story behind that? You know, when I was a kid, I played a lot of basketball, and and um, and and when you play basketball, when you're running up and you're bouncing and you do you, you're coming up to the the net, you you have a, a one two and leap in the air. There was a way of getting your height, so it's like one two, and your third stride was this massive jump, and. Um, I think that was just one of those occasions where I've just caught it right on. You know, it was right on my running line. So I've gone one, two, and just let go. But the fact that I was up high um, was probably, a, you know, because of that, that background that I had. But I, I could always jump. Again, I, I, I put that down to just timing. You know, a lot of it is timing and, and looking at the ball and judging the thing perfect, uh, perfectly. If you get that right, you know, you can you can get to a certain height. And that on that day... And Terry Weir caught the picture absolutely perfectly. Um, 
probably the hardest part of it would have been just making sure you got the right contact on the ball because you know quite often you would jump that high but but not get a good contact or it would hit the back of your heel or whatever but on that particular day that particular picture <clears throat> everything just fell into place but um I put the I put the timing down to you know like I said playing a lot of basketball when I was a kid and and uh, I, I was always I was always good at jumping um, for for the size of it that I was so um, it, it just worked perfectly on that particular day and it, I have the picture in my in my study here over there you know I don't have many pictures on my study I have the youth cup team over there I have my 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 goal at Bristol over there I have the team at uh, Barcelona there. I have the 96 Cup Final picture, winning picture there. And I have a a Good News Awards picture here with when I won an award with Alex Ferguson and um, Stuart Pearce, Gary Lineker. So, you know, they're very iconic to me. Um, but, yeah, it's just, I, I, it was just one of those things. Um, but as I, I can look up now and see the picture and, yeah, it's, I probably make it look as if I was, it looks as if I was high because at the end I just, Lifted my my right foot over just to flick the ball over the keeper's head, sort of thing. But it was it was a good goal and one which, as um, as as gets a story every time, every time it's its annual anniversary, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> We've spoken to to Andy Gray on the on this podcast, and he spoke glowingly about you, almost kind of crediting half the goals or even more that he scored for Villa during that purple patch down to this kind of sixth sense that you seem to have between each other. Is that is that reciprocated, your your love and respect for Andy? Yeah. Andy was just so different to us all, you know, and certainly different to me. Um, you know, if I scored, you were lucky to get a little wave of the hand sort of thing, you know. Andy scored, and and I, I mean, I'd love to see Andy Gray playing football today because I'd love to think what his celebrations would be like. They would, you know, he'd have gone on to a different level because, you know, we couldn't believe. We think, what's he doing, running around like that? He's because <laughs> you just didn't really celebrate like that. And those days, you just pat each other on the back and get back to the halfway line and start again because you, you know, you you just didn't do big celebrate. But Andy would, I think, Andy was the creator of the the thing. Really, just loved it. Um, He's just a dream to play with. He was a, he's just brave. Um, you know, I, to simplify it, and it, it probably is simplifying it, but I, I could just look where Andy Gray was, look where the goal was, and if you put the ball somewhere in front of there, in between him and the goal, he, he 90% of the time he would get on the end of it, you know. Um, and so that's probably making it sound easier than it actually was, but... But he was just brilliant. I mean, he's he's infectious. He's a motivator in the dressing room. Um, he didn't like losing. He'd give anyone a rollicking out on the pitch if he had to. Um, he was he loved it. He loved the tough games, you know. And despite not being the, I remember signing Andy, and I remember having played with Andy Lockhead, having played with Keith Leonard. Um, Ron Saunders said we we bought a new centre forward, and oh good, and so. I'm thinking now oh, we'll see this big six foot five centre forward come in now because he's bound to be big and then, and Andy comes in and he you know he was a six footer but but just and I'm thinking my word he's not not as big as I thought he would be and I remember one of my first games with him I think it might have been Middlesbrough away they played had a centre half called Stuart Bowen who was six foot five and I got out wide and I actually floated this ball in the box and I thought oh no as I've as I've kicked it I thought oh no Andy he'll not beat him. And all of a sudden, I've seen Andy Gray 
over the top. He was over the head. The whole his whole body was over the top. You talk about me jumping, and Andy was fully on top of Stuart Boehm and heading the ball. And I went, oh, that's our big centre forward. I remember thinking, oh, wow, uh, he was just he was just immense. You know, he just. Um, yeah, I, I think because he because he was a centre forward, um, and because in those days, you know, basically your motivator was supposed to be a centre half, so your midfielder who was a captain, uh, but he led led the line and led the team and um, wouldn't let anybody off with anything. He was he was brilliant, brilliant to be around, good fun, um, loud and leery at times, but but brilliant, brilliant. I loved him to bits and. Um, uh, I don't see him a lot of them these days. You know, we occasionally... I had a little chat to him uh, about a month back. He rang me, needed to... Uh, well, no, I think he messaged me. I can't remember. But, but we had a little chat, to, whether it's one of these... I can't remember. It might have been a, a text message. But we messaged each other a little bit about a month ago talking about one or two things that we needed to... that he wanted to sort out. Um, um, but he's done great for himself. He's, he's a great lad. And... Uh, yeah, we had a we had a wonderful partnership, and you had John D into that mix as well, who was probably very underestimated. Um, you know, I think the one season we scored something like seventy seven goals between the three of us, or something, which was quite quite extraordinary, really. When do you think, if you had to kind of pin it down to one season or a couple of seasons when you were absolutely in your pomp and playing with a swagger, would it have been around the time of the the, the hat trick in the semi final and the the winners? the winners of the final of the League Cup, would it have been around then? or? Well, yeah, I think the the, the 75 season, we were uh, promoted, and the 77 season with Andy and Dixie, um, I had, uh, had an injury in between, which would be 75, 76. I had my first cartilage operation. And I was in plaster for six weeks. I mean, nowadays, you know, you go in and come out, and within two weeks, you're jumping around again. But... I, the, I I went in for a cartilage operation, um, seventy uh, six ish, and um, uh, I was in a plaster for six weeks. Um, I think they found quite a bit of ligament damage, which I think they were worried about. Um, but but either side of that injury, um, the year we we won the got promotion to the to the first division, and the year we won the league cup. Yeah, the two league cup years, I think they were. I was pretty much at my best then, I think, um, without a doubt. Uh, <coughs> um, 77 was great because, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think from a, you know, we'd, we'd, Dennis had come in by then, who was a, 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 an unbelievable player. Um, you know, Frank Caradis, um, uh, the Des Bremners. And when I look at the, the, the Ron Saunders teams, um, the way they were built, it was a massive influence on me when I became a manager. But, um, yeah, I think uh, from a personal point of view, I, I, I scored a, that, those two years, I scored a lot of goals as well. So um, I always thought of myself more as a, uh, a, a, an assist. I mean, I don't think anyone even thought of assists in, back in those days. And then you think, well, oh, he put that in. Perhaps Andy did in his conversation with you because I obviously did help him. Uh, I'll have a final pass to him. <clears throat> but yeah, the, the, 70, the, the two seasons we won the League Cup, I think I was probably pretty much at my best in those two particular seasons. I just had quite a few injuries, me. I had you know, lots of groin injuries, uh, stomach injuries. 
back problems, which eventually I found out later on in life. I had major surgery on my back when I was 40. Um, and in fact, you know, when they tried to sell me, um, that's what I filled my medical on, the fact that I had a, a, a potentially very, very bad back problem. In fact, if I hadn't finished with my knee in in 79, I think my I think my back would have cracked up pretty soon after that. To be honest, if I'd played professional football for any longer, um, you know, I had to have my spine fused and discs removed, um, and that's pretty much what they found when I when I was almost transferred to Birmingham. Um, that's what they discovered. So uh, I don't think my career would have went on very much longer, even if I hadn't damaged my knee. To be honest, so uh, but but I, you know, some great years. But the two outstanding years were 75 and 77, I think. Let's just talk for a moment about that, that move that never, that never went through across, uh, across, yeah. the, across the second city yeah. divide then. And I think probably at the time you were disappointed, but I think Villa fans would probably be relieved in terms of your legacy I understand that, but I always, I always answer the questions by saying, to, you know, um, there's a high percentage of our European Cup winning team went on and played for Birmingham City. You know, that was just the thing in those days. You know, you, you didn't want to move very far. Uh, you wanted to stay in the area. You go back 40 years and most players played in an area where they played for nearly every club all the time. Um, uh, um, uh, you know, I, I, my my gripe was with, Miss, with, with Mr Saunders. Ron and I didn't get on very well. Um, I, I respected him. To the to the end of the world. I've said that on so many times. You know, when I when I became a manager, I tried to build teams like he built teams. I, I just we just had a clash of personality, you know. And um, so basically, I it, it was a it was more more around that. And I, I I I didn't we didn't get on. I didn't dislike him. I can't say that. I just we just couldn't we couldn't eye to eye. We just used to argue a lot, you know. And um, uh, that's just the way I was. I suppose I was a bit grumpy and awkward. Um, I guess I was, um, I, but I, I just didn't agree with some of the things that he said to other people or some of the things that he did. Or and and unfortunately, I was at a period in my life there where I, I probably said more than I should have done. Um, but you know, um, it's just life, wasn't it? Really, just one of those things. So I had to move on from there. I watched an interview last night, Brian, in readiness to speak to you today about when that move to Blues fell through. <laughs> and um, you seem very measured. I mean, I know, I know you're a measured guy anyway, but considering it was a disappointing setback, yeah. you seem very measured and matter-of-fact. Yeah, almost... yeah, sorry, I saw the... I, I, it, someone someone posted it somewhere, and I remember it, and I, and I could hardly remember doing the interview, to be honest. But when I, when I listened to it, I thought, oh, Blumenek, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, you know. So um, I... I Deep down, deep down, I didn't want to, to leave. I, I just, but Ron and I knew that it was time to to do something different. But at the same time, I don't know whether, you know, the other side of that story would be that, you know, Peter Withers always said to me, Ron told me he wanted to sign me to play you up front, to play up front with you. You know, so Ron thought he was, in his own way, I guess he thought he was getting the best out of me, being a bit awkward with me. But he was, as I, I've spoke to Gary, Shaw and Tony and, and other players of a similar ilk. And they found Ron exactly the same. You know, we found him, anybody who was a little bit different found it very hard to get on with him. Um, 
but that was just his way. You know, it's amazing when you get older what you, you look back on and say, Craig, why didn't I know that at that time? Why didn't I understand that? But, you you know, as a 25, 26-year-old footballer, you're still a kid because you, you lived in this, you live in these little bubbles. You know, you're not, you're not living in the real world. It's a, it's a different thing. You know, you're, you, you know, you're looked upon as, as something different. You know, you're playing in front of thousands and thousands of people, or you're performing in front. Of you. You're like an artist of some description. It's, it's a different, it's a different way of life. You know, um, and I don't think we realised. I certainly didn't realise. You know, the way Ron treated me, he treated me the way he thought he was going to get the best out of me. Um, and I realise that now. But at the time, I used to think, why is he Why is he saying that to me? Why is he talking to me like that? Why does he not trust me to do this? But Gary and, and Tony and players similar to myself all had exactly the same. That was his way of treating people. That was his way of getting the best out of them. Um, so, you know, the move itself was, was born, out of, born out of frustration. I mean, I remember the, the, the number of times you used to tell me, oh, I'm playing so-and-so this weekend, he's better than you. And I used to say, what? He said, well, you're injured, but you're not getting back in the team anyway, anyway, because he's better. And I used to say, but that was just his way of, of getting me ready to wind me up so as I'd play well the next game. But I used to get angry with it. I used to say, why is he talking to me like that? That's not, I, I don't need to be talked to. But that was his way. So whether we, you know, God rest his soul, whether he really liked me or not, I'll never find out, will I not, you know? I, but we, we it's, it was just, I, I think it was, if I have to blame somebody, I would blame myself more than him, if I'm being honest. That's the first time I've ever said that. Because as a kid, I didn't quite understand um, how how a man or at that time motivated people in different ways. He never spoke to Dennis Mortimer like that. You know, he, ne- he never spoke to Ken McNaught like that or Alan Evans like that. But he didn't have to, <laughs> you know. He didn't. He didn't have to. But he felt with me, Gary Shaw, Tony Morley, anybody with a little bit of uh, of an edge to them. Right, I've got to wind him up. And then, and sadly, I didn't realise that at the time. Of the goals that you scored at Villa, and I've seen, I've looked through some of the, the highlights reels, and you scored a screamer against Man United, and I think there's an overhead kick in there somewhere. I, I forget, forget who it was against. Is the one in your mind that you think? I love you know if you could get get that dig that out on YouTube or I, I love that goal that you know one that you play over in your own mind in, in idle moments from time to time. The League Cup, yeah, and it's a simple goal, but I, I used to just like sliding things in the corner. Um, but I remember against Manchester City, Chris Nickel winning the ball in the corner. He rolled it into me in the box. I've sort of backheeled it round the back of me turned the defender and just side-footed it in the corner. I like that because that was typical of what I used to do a lot. Most of my goals were side-footers. I remember Kenny Burns falling over the ball once in a Birmingham Villa game at Villa Park. And again, I remember just slide, slide, sliding it into the goal. Um, I, I, just, I, I, I remember the Man United one, but I, don't, I, I think that's probably the only goal I ever scored from outside the box, to be honest. I, I used to just like, I was good in the air, so I scored quite a few good headers. There was a lot of headed goals um, that, that I would be proud of, but I've never seen them. They've never been, I've never been able to retrace them. Um, uh, where I've, again, I, I, I would say, I think I jumped, for my height, I think I jumped over the top of people and scored. But the Man City won in the League Cup um, at Villa Park, the year we, we would have gone on to win the League Cup that year. Um, uh, that that's probably one of my favourites because it was a 
it was something that I'd practiced in the training ground. The ball would come into me. I'd, I'd let it come through my legs, but take it with my, my good leg behind me, spin round and, and just side foot it in. Um, so that technically for me was like uh, um, the sort of goal I'd like to score um, as many times as I could, to be honest. So that was one of my favourites. Um, but it was it was technically good, but simple. I mean, you, you know, you, you've been talking about the one at Bristol City, but yeah that was a good goal but I just uh, the Man City one sticks in my mind always has done for years and years so that one's kind of pretty much stamped stamped with the Brian Brian little hallmark quality yeah, assurance pretty, yeah pretty much I hope yeah I think so maybe, yeah. <laughs> what was the realisation like Brian when the doctors said listen you could carry on playing but if you do you're not going to be able to have any kind of way of life you know going into the future what, what was that moment like when it dawned on the, that you had to retire well, I don't think they said I could continue. I mean, I knew I couldn't. I knew I could. The, the, the thing is with it, um, even, you know, I, I was still back in training and I would train odd days and then I'd have to miss a couple. Or there was odd games that I played in. Um, and people used to say, oh, you're back, Brian. Oh, look at you. You can still do this. You can do that. And I had a simple answer to their question all the time and I, to their, their statements all the time. And I still use that to, to this day. Um, and I used to say to people, you can't feel my pain. You you can't feel. You don't see me on the night time after I've trained or the night time I've had a game. You can't see me, me at night with my with ice all on my knee, with having to take tablets because I'm in that much pain. You can't you can't feel that. Yes, and three days later I'm better, um, but you can't. You've no idea what I'm putting myself through now. And I was. It was hell, you know. It was really, it was so hard, and it was, it was here. It was really getting at me. And you know, in those days, I remember when I went to Harley Street. They sent me down to a specialist in Harley Street who said, "Oh yes, Mister Little, uh, we've never done this operation before, but I'm willing to, to experiment on your knee if you want me to." And I went, "What? <laughs> experiment on my knee?" Why? He said, well, well, what we've thought of doing is taking some some uh, sinews off an animal and putting them into your leg. And I'm going, what? And I thought, I, ca- I can't be doing with this. I, there's just no way. Um, I, 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 I just, I, I wanted to be what I wanted to be. And if I couldn't be who I was or what I wanted to be, I'd rather have not been anything sort of thing. I, but the thought of somebody experimenting on my knee, um, no, I just, I just, I remember thinking I can't go. And I, and, and when I trained and played, um, it, you know, it was the four days in between and 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 uh, the pain that I was in and the discomfort and the fact that I couldn't walk around the house and even at the time, you know, trying to walk my dog, I, I was just in agony and just completely in bits. And people didn't see that other side of it, you know. Um, so. The day I went back to Harley Street with Mike Pedgick, again, Pedge had to, was asked to retire, advised to retire the same day as me. Um, I think it was a relief, really, for somebody to, to say, someone just to genuinely say, look, Mr Little, this, this is how your leg is, and um, it's not getting better. I promise you it'll get worse. And I, and I remember I'm saying, you know, on my advice, if I were you, for to have a, a reasonable way of walking around and, and not being in the agony you you must stop playing uh, p- professional sport 
So, and I was relieved when he said that. I was relieved when someone told me, actually looked and said to me, instead of saying, oh, I'll experiment on you, uh, you know, oh, I'll just cut a few bits out here, there and everywhere and see where we get to. No, I, 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 I was, again, I was more relieved than anything else. And um, uh, I, I think I took it fairly well. And I've, I've always accepted it as being what it was. Um, um, and as I've said, no, nobody else could see or feel my pain. And I, you know, when you, I was being honest with myself, and I and, and I could look at Mark Walters who was coming through, and I used to think, "Crazy! I wish I could do what he does." My word, look at what a good player he was. You know, um, sure he was around at the time. You know, what I mean, and I and I I was just in complete pain day in and day out. Uh, and if I took a week off, then I could probably play. But then the next week it would be worse again. So no, it, it wasn't a problem for me, Matt. I've never, I've never. I mean, I can be disappointed, yes, but I've never, I've never felt any animosity or anything towards anybody or anything at all. So it's just one of those things, um, and uh, I, I feel I accepted it as as best as anybody could. You've got the news that you, you've had to kind of hang up your boots in terms of playing. Am I right in thinking that you, your first venture into the world of coaching and management was with, with the Villa Youth setup? What I did, I worked in the club shop for a while. Uh, I wanted to work. I worked at. Uh, I worked for a printing company for three months part time to try and learn what the, the the rights and wrongs of of printing world. In fact, it was the company yes, that used to do the Villa the Aston Villa program. Um, but I hated that. So I came back, knocked on the door at the club shop and said, is there anything I can do to help? And they said, well, you can work in the shop on a match day. People are like that. So I used to work in the, the shop on a match day. I used to sell uh, lottery tickets. I used to go around to the, the pubs and the off-licenses and swap over the, the lottery tickets, um, take their money, take it back to the club. Um, and then one day, Keith Leonard and, and Ron Saunders went to Birmingham. Tony Barton was offered the job and Tony said to me, Brian, we you just look after the youth team for a few days for me? And uh, I said, yeah, of course I will. I'd love to do that. So he said, if it goes all right, I tell you, we'll do it for a few weeks. If it goes all right, we'll, we'll talk about it. Well, I was there for three and a bit years as the youth coach. So just to be in the right place at the right time, I guess. And and, and basically, that's probably what I wanted. You know what I mean? I, I When I went out to football for that three months in the printing world, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I, I don't. Which just was not me at all. I couldn't be bothered with that. I quite enjoyed driving. I had a little mini metro with Aston Villa written all over it, and I, I used to drive around the pubs and the clubs. But I was talking football to people, so it was okay, you know. Um, but but the youth team job um, uh, was 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 great, you know. And I had people like uh, the older players like Ray Walker, Paul Kerr, Dean Glover. Uh, then I had people like Mark Burke, David Norton, Darren Bradley, Tony DeRigo, Tony Daly. I had a good, good group of lads who I got on great with. And I found, like, what I felt I was reasonably good at was the man management side, you know, just trying to pass on all the things that I'd, I'd learned over the years. <clears throat> uh, the way Davey Gibson and people like that and Bruce Riock and them would speak to me, I tried to... So I was more... Uh, I, th- I thought of myself more as a mentor than a coach than anything else to start with. You know, we used to do all the... Uh, I hadn't done my qualifications, which weren't necessarily at the time, but I'd... I'd I was I'd done my prelim badge, but I found like um, it was the mentoring side and talking to the boys side and just explaining what the game was about side that I was very good at. Um, so you know, being the youth coach was was great, and um, I had some 
some really good lads, some some super lads, you know, and we had a great time together. Um, Travelled off to, to youth tournaments abroad. Um, uh, and and it was great to see, you know, the likes of, of David Norton and Darren Bradley and that getting into the first team and Dorigo and, and Tony Daly, who I obviously still see a lot now and still keep in touch with quite a few of them. So, you know, that that's nice, really. So, um, but I, I enjoyed that. I found that, um, I found I was, I was, like I said, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I was the greatest coach in the world, but I, I I could stop and say to people, and I could point out things to people that I thought were good for them, um, and um, yeah. So I was off on the coaching role, and eventually took my full badge, and uh, and um, and was ready for for a bigger thing later on in life. So let's fast forward <laughs> quite a leap. You you've kind of earned your spurs in various mm-hmm. various management jobs, and the, and then Villa and Doug come knocking when you're at Leicester City. And um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm talking a while ago now, but back back in kind of tabloid terms, uh, that that would have been the talk the talk of the Daily Mirror and the Sun and stuff. Yes, the kind of the fallout. I know I know a lot of it can be pantomime, but the mm-hmm. the fallout from you moving from Leicester to Villa was it was quite tense and hostile, wasn't it? It wasn't half, yeah. Um... <laughs> It, it, I remember uh, a friend of mine the the day I the day I'd moved. I remember a friend of mine rang me at, at, at quarter to seven in the morning, half six. It was really early, and went. Um, uh, Sorry to trouble you. Have you seen the Sun newspaper? I said quarter to seven in the morning. I'm seeing the Sun newspaper. Uh, he said, "Well, go and get it." So um, jumped up, went off, got it, and the front page was Judas. So that was it, and it was me. <laughs> Front page of the of the paper. That's terrible. Hated it. Um, that was really, in all in all honesty, I'd been in football bar for how many years then? Uh, God, uh, I don't know how many years I'd been in football. Uh, well, so I would have been forty-one, wouldn't I? So um, you know, there, there is there's there's what's that from fifteen? That's uh, it's, a, it's a good twenty-six years, yes. isn't it? And it, it was basically the first time in my life I'd had stick. You know, I mean, I, I got stick off of the crowds. People used to shout, whoa, get your hair cut and things like that, you know, and all sorts of things. But um, I, I'd, I'd never really, you know, because my, my, manage, my, my managerial thing there, you know, I'd won three championship, two championships with Darlington. I took Leicester to three playoff finals. I'd, I'd, I'd never had a bad day in my life, really, in fairness. And all of a sudden I go to Villa where I'm thinking, wow, heaven, you know, here I am. Look at this. And I get absolutely pummeled. And, of course, my first game away from Villa Park was back at Leicester City. Uh, so, no, I, it was awful. But, you know, I, I look back and I know situations like that have been a massive help to football managers today because, you know, managers now have, um, you know, contracts which have clauses in with which write compensation for this, compensation for that. Um, I, I remember after, not long after that, you know, in other managerial jobs when I got the sack at, at Hull um, and basically it was I told if I didn't accept what he was giving me, I was getting nothing sort of thing. You know, you just, you look back and you think, wow, you know, it was so open. Um, but the bottom line was that both clubs had agreed that I could go um, uh, and, and there was a threat of a court thing which never came. Uh, it's strange, but the date I remember the date sorted itself out. I remember 
I remember the day that it, it was all sorted and, and sorted and, and was the day we, we lost to Crystal Palace in the FA Cup. Uh, we lost 4-1 at Palace. I think it was about my third game, third or fourth game. Gareth Southgate scored two against us. And I remember thinking I'm going to sign him. I remember I remember after the game thinking I'm going to sign that lad. Um, and I remember going in the dressing room and everything had come out of my system by then. I was relieved that there was no court case going on. And I remember just looking at the players. We'd gotten beaten 4-1. And I remember then saying, right, um, you're now my team. Time for me to... You want to play the way I want you to play now. We'd, I'd played with, I'd played with the same team that had been left. That Ron had left. That um, uh, that had been left. And that had won at Tottenham, playing with a back four. And I went right. You know, we'd lost four one and lost badly. And of course, that's when I introduced the three centre backs, the two wing backs, the three midfield players, and two strikers. And um, thought I was capable of putting my stamp on a Villa thing then. I remember that was the day that real, the realisation of, right, I'm in charge now, just being battered out of the FA Cup, seeing somebody I want to sign and um, and I was, you know, free from any sort of hassle anymore. So it was time to, to try and put my stamp on the club, really. So talk to us briefly, Brian, about how you kind of manage the relationship with um, with Mr Ellis. I've always liked him. I don't know why. He's, he's, he's a nightmare or was a nightmare, God bless him. I mean, everybody in the world would tell you that. You know, you know, he 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 was unbelievable. I mean, every day when I was just about to go home, he would turn up for work. You know, uh, when you think in those days, I used to be at the training ground, and you know, part of my remit was to be back at the ground at one o'clock some days because the chairman might want to see you. So I'd, I'd often have to dash down to Villa Park from Bodymore sit there till five o'clock and then think, right, I'm going home. Just as I'm going out the door, who would turn up? Doug, yes. Oh, good evening, Brian. Ah, just in time. Let's have a meeting for a couple of hours. And then I'm going, oh, you know. So three years of that is painful, let me tell you. It was, honestly, it was, but I loved him a bit. I actually liked him. But I, in the end, you just got, it's just, you just wore you down, you know. He was unbelievable. But I, I, what I liked about Doug was I used to knock on his door and say, look, uh, I want to sign this player. And he'd look at me and go, Brian, no chance. I'm sorry, mate. Can't do that. Um, or I'd knock on his door and say, I want to sign this player. And I, you could see his little face light up and you go, oh, yes. Oh, where, where do we go from now? And whatever, when he had that little bit of glint in his eye that he was going to do something, you knew you'd got a chance, you know? And... I'd still be sitting in his office. We would be sitting in his office at 11 o'clock at night with a footballer and his agent. And you're just waiting for them to give in. You know, you're just, you're just thinking, I'm sitting there thinking after a while, thinking he'll submit in a minute, he'll give in to Doug because he's got to sign. He's, got, he's just going to give it up. He's just, Doug's gonna, he's going to get what he wants. And he wouldn't let people go until he got what he wanted. He was unbelievable. And um, and add, add to that, you know, the stories and his stories after three years you've heard them day in day out night in night out and like you're falling asleep because you've, you've heard the one where he's invented the overhead kick you know even you've, you've heard the one where he's, he's had this big fish on his wall i caught that in, in martinique and all this so you, you know you've heard all the stories and it just it, but I, I i loved him to bits i, I did he just he just tired me 
just tires you out. I remember saying to Greg, oh, I said, I'll give you three years, JG. I'll give you three years, son. And if you look in that era with Ron, with Graham, with myself, if if you got the three years, it was you who wanted to go, not him wanting to try and get rid of you. <laughs> if you if you didn't get last a year, it was because he didn't want you there. But if, if, if you got three years, you were thinking, help, get me out of here, please. <laughs> I, no, I, honestly, I've got nothing again. He used to say to me, Brian, you're a very good driver. I said, what about a football manager, Doug? Oh, yeah, she's quite good at that. But I love, when you drive, you drive me really well. And he used to, he used to love me taking them to games because he used to say to me, God, what a good driver you are, Brian. I said, well, it'd be nice if you said something else nice to me apart from calling me a good driver, you know. No, I, I had some great times with him. Uh, best of all would be going to see Sabo, you know, jumping on an aeroplane. Coming in, I went into them with. I'd watch the in those days. You know, when I look at the technology they have today, you know, we had a we had a video sent of, of Sabo. It must have been sent to a few clubs, and I thought straight away, Hallelujah, that's it. That's my Peter with Gary Shaw. That's my uh, Brian Little, Andy Gray, right foot, left foot, right foot, left. It's my Dwight York, Sabo Milosevic. That was my Ron Saunders team. I could. The minute I saw him, I thought, you know. That is the partnership I want. And I've gone in and I've said, and I, I was I don't read newspapers, forgive me, and all that sort of thing. But <laughs> I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not. And I just went in and said, here, I want to go and sign this lad in Belgrade. Oh, and his face literally went, oh, good, I'll sort the flights out. <laughs> and then we get on the aeroplane, he said, and then he just looked at me and went, Brian, you know you're taking me into what is a bit of a war zone at the moment. I went, what? <laughs> He said, yes, there's all sorts of trouble going on in Yugoslavia at the moment. I went, oh, crikey. I didn't, I had no idea, you know, like, here's me, just football, 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 you know. Um, but it was, he, you know, it was great. And he just, because he, because I'd got him, I'd hooked him and we never left Belgrade. We, we had, you know, he stood there in front of everybody you know, stubborn as could be. They were asking for unbelievable amounts of money. Um, and you know he didn't he didn't give it he gave exactly what he wanted he gave exactly for Savo to fall in line with us with a promise that if he did better then you know he might move on to better things or he might get what he we, we were moving into an era where uh, you were beginning to play pay players more but we had the perfect stage for for Milosevic and um, I, I thought he was brilliant you know but at the same time he could come to me some days. Some agent had been on the phone to him and he, he wanted to meet them. And I'm going, no, I don't want to meet them. And he used to say to me, well, if you don't come, I'll sack you. <laughs> Simple as that. So I say, all right, I'll be there. I'll see you later. And OK, no problems. OK, he did. Honestly, he just, well, if you're not there, I'll sack you. Oh, all right. It's in your contract. You know, when you're when I'm called, when I call you, you've got to be there sort of thing. I And when... Sadly, later on, you know, when I went back the five five years or so ago now, and he was getting really old, I, I used, when he when he came into the director's room and I was in there most of the time, you know, I used to see a little smile come on his face. So I knew he, you know, I knew he was seeing somebody that he he liked to see, and that that pleased me a lot, you know. And I still, I still to this day can st- see him, you know, and I still think of him in his best. I think I had you know, him while he was at his best sort of thing, you know, and Ron and John, I think, and Graham, I think that era 
was dug at his best, and his best was his worst. <laughs> but uh, but that that that's the truth, you know. But I loved him. I I, I can't. I and uh, as I've said at the end, you know, he was a, an old man and and not well. But he used to smile when he saw me, and that made me feel a million dollars really because I, you know, I, I worked hard for him, but I, I got tired in the end. So how soon, Brian, into, you, you've talked about the Crystal Palace defeat, spotting Southgate, getting all the Leicester nonsense out of the way. How soon between that that kind of moment did you feel you'd really stamped your mark? Because you inherited a good team from Ron, but a team that was probably creaking and, and needed needed an overhaul. They were good players. It was just time for them to move on. You know, there was that period in, in, in anyone's career where there's time to move on. Um I actually, I remember getting to the end of January and think, right, I've got him. Because I got manager of the month in January. We climbed up to 10. I think we were 10th off top. We'd gone from 17th, 16th, 17th in the league up to 10th off top and, and clear as a, as a bird. And then when I signed Tommy and, and Gary, um, and, and it, it, again, you've got to remember, the transfer window was open all the time at, at, at that until the third Thursday in March. So the fact that I was in, and I was the one in, in, in who had to, to talk to agents and, and talk to other, uh, talk to Doug and talk to people about, you know, what we want to do and where we want to go and how you want to sign people. It wasn't like a, a you know, the director of football going around doing business for you. It was me, you know. So, so I was in conversation with lots of agents and agents were in conversation with me, and and players were knocking on their agent's door saying find out what the manager's doing because I think he's trying to sign so-and-so and, and if you do that, I want to leave. So we had this unbelievable period around February, January, end of January, February, where, you know, players would know because their agents were in touch with other clubs about, oh, well, if, if Brian Little wants him to move, would you be ready for him? And, and it was so, so um, disruptive. And that's how it was in those days. It was really disruptive. It was it, it helped in some ways, but it also had its disruption as well. Because you know, I had I had an, um, a real bunch of of players with with good experience, with a big background, with a with a with a. No, I wouldn't say a big ego, but who knew how good they were and how they could do. And if they thought I was going to try and sign a younger player than them to take their place, they wanted to get out now, like like yesterday. And they could because the the transfer window was open all the time. So I went into a period there where um, some of it through my own doing, but some of it through their agent and the player themselves finding out what was going on, where you had this massive disruption um, and and players were talking about what they're going to do at the, at the end of the season or B before the, th- the third Thursday in March. And it was unbelievably uh, disruptive to me and the team. So we... We had a period where I could just look at the team and, and think, I go, we haven't done bad today, but we've ended up losing again. Why? And it was that little 5% or that little 10% that, that made them the players they were that was missing. So it was a difficult period. That 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 was the, a difficult period. But, but it helped me change things as time went by, you know. Um, uh, and, and I felt I knew exactly by the end of January where I was going. I just had to get to the end of the season. And I thought I was going to get to the end of the season with ease. But February was terrible. March wasn't so good either. And I think that we needed a big win against Liverpool in April that actually gave us the, 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 that little bit of breathing space to stay up at the end of the season. But it was, it was difficult. And, of course, through that period, you know, 
players like Kevin Richardson, Ray Houghton, uh, Earl Barrett, Dean Saunders, Dalian Atkinson left at the end of the season. Um, they all knew where they were going. They all knew that, you know, they all knew in February that, oh, at the end of the season, I'm going to Galatasaray or I'm going to Fenerbahce or I'm going here, I'm going there. Um, so it, 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 whilst it had its advantages in some ways over the modern system, it certainly has its disadvantages as well. So, um, but it, but but I, I felt it, I felt at ease with my job. I felt at ease with where I was. I felt at ease with how I was going to what I knew I was going to do. I really had to just stay in the in the the Premier League, and and that got a little bit tight towards the end. It got a little bit sort of hairy and and, and nervous for us. Um, so, but but I, I I was comfortable. I was very comfortable with what I was doing. Um, but I wasn't always necessarily a hundred percent in control of the results. That's that's what I needed to get right. As I said, you know, I knew I wanted Gareth Southgate. I knew when we played them in the FA Cup, I knew that's what I wanted to sign. When I saw the Milosevic thing, I knew I wanted him. I knew I wanted Mark Draper. You know, I, I knew that. Um, so I, 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 I pretty much knew what I wanted to do. Uh, um, and uh, thankfully, I got the opportunity to do that. So if, if the League Cup winning seasons in the 70s as a player were, were you in your pomp, was the League Cup winning season for Villa 95-96 you in your managerial pomp? Certainly in Villa terms, was that was that the season? Yeah, without doubt. I mean, it was. we had a good team. We had a great... Um, we, we, we were... It was on the verge of going further. I, I mean, sadly, we couldn't take it further, which is a big disappointment to me. But um, there was, there was that, that, that. Certainly, the starting eleven. We didn't have a big squad, you know. We had Tommy, Tommy Johnson, and 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 you know, Stan Staunton was. I wouldn't say he was on the fringe, but he was, he was too good a player to call a fringe player, Stan. But you know, we had him, Alan Wright. Uh, uh, Hugo, um, uh, there was a, a little mix where Stan could play left back or or even in in the centre of the pitch for us as a, a central defender. And and the balance of that team was was the balance of a Ron Saunders team for me. I, I've said this to many people on many of occasions. I probably said it to you, and if I'm repeating myself, I'm sorry. But um, you know, I based my 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 team on you know the if I look at the forwards, the right foot, left foot, Dwight York, Savile Milosevic was going to be that was going to be my Peter with Gary Shaw, my Brian Little. Um, Andy Gray, you know, my Mark Draper was, and you can say whether they were better or not. It's not an argument who was the best of them. It's just, it's just a comparison. Um, Mark Draper was my, my Gordon Cowens. Andy Townsend was my, my Dennis Mortimer. Ian Taylor was, was my Des Bremner. You know, unbelievable energy. Um, my centre backs, you know, Alan Evans and, and Ken McNaught, and I had McGrath, Southgate, and Hugo Egg. every bit is. You know what a what a com. I had a great goalkeeper. They had Jimmy Rimmer and, and Nigel. You know, I had, had Bosnich. It was brilliant. Uh, my two fullbacks were just underestimated players. Kenny Swain and Gary Williams. Nobody really said much about them, but they were so functional and so organised and so good. And I had Gary Charles and Alan Wright, who you know people would look at and go, oh, Gary Charles. But I tell you what, they they were so organised and the, the whole group was was for me. It was my tribute to Ron Saunders that. That was my, that was that was me putting a Ron Saunders team together, um, and 
lots of people would say, you know, some of my players might have been better than some of that team that won the won the league. I don't know. I'm not. I don't want to get into that sort of argument. But I, I know. I know. Deep down, I, I I built that sort of a team. But I did the same at Leicester. My Leicester team had this, my Darlington team was built. You know, completely different level, but 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 the same the same principles. One player who does this, one who does that, one who does this. It was a mix and a and a, and a marriage of of players who complemented each other to make a team functional um, and entertaining. Let's face it; I, I don't think we weren't entertaining. I think we were mega entertaining. Um, so that that's what I was really proud about more than anything else. Uh, the disappointment was, I, you know, when we started to build on squads, I couldn't quite handle that, and I, I never, I don't think I ever got to grips with that. Um, but 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 that team was one hell of a good team, and winning that league cup was was an unbelievable experience. Um, one that I'm I'm really proud of. So you know that's that's with me forever, thankfully. So in terms of the transformation, you've been able to kind of phase out a lot of players who were were good players, great players under Ron. You mm-hmm. bought in pretty much a new team, haven't you? In the space of space of eighteen months, and you managed to get that new team to finish fourth. Mm-hmm. That season, FA Cup semi-final and win a piece of silverware. So that was my era. I, this is how long ago it was. I, I was 17, I think, that, that year. And so I am going to think of it a lot more fondly, Yeah, you know, than, than what's happening now yeah. or, or whatever. But it must, it must even now fill you with immense pride that not only did you manage Villa, but you managed Villa into what, for a generation, is remembered for a really, really great time, a great era. Yeah, it was brilliant. I mean, uh, you know... Um... I inherited some great players from Ron. Uh, I left some great players for John. I mean, and that, that's how it should be, really. You know, um, everything was disciplined. Everything was in place. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, I chuffed to bits that I got the job after after Ron. I was really happy at Leicester. And, you know, without John Gregory sort of kicking me up the backside saying, Brian, don't miss out. Don't You can't miss this chance. You know, if... if you might not ever get offered this opportunity again, you know, and I know you like Leicester and John was brilliant and he he could see it clearer than me at the time. Um, you know, and he would, he would always say, you might not get the chance again, so don't miss out. And he was right. Uh, and, and likewise for him, I mean, you know, um, he could have rang me and said, oh, I'm sorry, Brian, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really want to walk into your shoes. I know I, I was there with you and I've left, but... But no, it was right for him to take over. So his his mindset was really good. Um, but you know that that era with Graham uh, Graham prior to that as well. Graham and and um, uh, Ron, myself and John, and obviously Martin afterwards and things like that. There was some great things. So it was just I, I yeah. As I've said, you know, you were talking to me about an hour and a half ago about a fifteen year old kid walking into the the club. For me. That is even greater, you know. That that's the fact that I I can remember the first day I walked into Villa Park as a fifteen-year-old kid, and that fifteen-year-old kid not only played for the club, you know, not only worked in the club shop, not only not only was a youth coach, you know, he became the manager. Um, no, it's just incredible. It's just a wonderful experience. So, um, I, I, I yeah, I'm proud, crikey, I, yeah. It's brilliant, you know. It's 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 a fairy tale story in my in my mind. Total, total fairy tale story, which um, you know still is still going on today. So you know, I've been blessed. 
Did you get a sense on that cup run that you, your name was on the cup, if you like? Did things open up in that way or you, you don't get ahead of yourself like that? No, I think the Arsenal game was the one. We just thought, You looked at that and you thought, oh, my word, they're a good side. You know, they were a good side. And um, they were obviously managed by Bruce Rioch, who who I, I would put down as one of my major mentors in my life. Uh, as a young kid, you know, Bruce was really good to me. Um, uh, B um, and and more especially so with that game leading up, Bruce gave me my 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 best job in football prior to becoming a manager, which was to work with him at Middlesbrough. When he and Colin Todd took Middlesbrough from the third division back up to the first division, I had three wonderful years with Bruce, where he taught me so much about how to manage um, leading from the front. Um, putting the hours in, putting the work in. In those days, you know, we used to have to go to games every single night. You know, we used to have to coach the kids um, in the afternoons. You know, um, we would all join in with the first team through the days. Bruce was a was a, a wonderful, wonderful mentor of mine um, and gave me the inspiration to, to become a football manager, really. Uh, so the the semi-final was, was the game that I was looking at and thinking, wow, um, I've got to beat somebody who I'm actually, I actually look up to, like in a big way. You know, I mean, I, I, you know, I think I've always felt on on a football field as a football player. You know, I, I've never frightened—not frightened is a word—but I, I never felt in awe of anybody really. You know, I just that's it. I'm playing. Give me the give me the ball. Uh, as a football manager, you know, I was now walking to an era where, I, like my ex-boss, I was having to. I was having to try and beat him, and, and he wasn't just my ex-boss. He was somebody who I had total respect for, and, and you know thought he was a million miles better at it than I was in many respects. So the Arsenal game was, and when we were two 0 down, and Yorkie got two goals back didn't he, in the semi-final, um, I remember then thinking, "Oh, he's beaten me." I remember then having a, a thought, "Oh, he's probably beaten me now, hasn't he?" And then Yorkie popped up with them goals and thought to myself, right. And going into the second leg, I knew I knew it would be hard, but I knew we, we were strong enough to not let them score. Um, but it was important we didn't think about defending totally. But no, I think the Arsenal game that 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 didn't scare me, but it, it, it certainly had I, I was concerned that they might just have a little edge on us. So we'd have to be at our best to get through. Uh, and thankfully we were so um, outside of that the other games you know I, th- I think if you look at the teams we played I mean it was always our first team wasn't it really it was all the way through that run you know we didn't worry too much about how many games people played in those days but I don't there still wasn't the international sort of get togethers as they are now and stuff like that you know there's players still just uh, played less games than they do today we had a good team and I, 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 as the season went on, we got better and better and we grew. Um, uh, you know, I thought we were unlucky in the semi-final against Liverpool, to be honest. I mean, I know we lost 3-0, but I still think that was probably one of our best games at times. At times in that game, we were we were outstanding, really. But um, no, I, I, the cup run itself got to Wembley and I thought we were there. I thought we could win it. Totally confident about it. The semi-final was the... The, the big the big test for us I think 
last night I listened to some of the commentary and some of the preamble ahead of the cup final. It's on, available on YouTube. And they do, they, they go and they interview Howard Wilkinson or they interview you. And again, you're so, you're so kind of matter of fact. And it's kind of, I think you've actually, I think you actually described the build up to it as all being a lot of hassle. I think rather rather than the excitement that we expect, you just gone. Listen, we're here now. We come to do a job. Let's get all that nonsense out of the way. It was very very focused. Yeah, I think you know my three years at Wembley with with, with Leicester uh, taught me that you know um, my last game I won with Leicester. The last time we won the the promotion to the Premier League, uh, we actually went down uh, last thing at night, had some breakfast and played football. The previous two years, we went three days before and trained in different things and did this different and that different. And I, I, I just, I just wanted it to be like we went a couple of days before, of course, but but everything else was low key. Everything else was just treating it the same as making sure everybody was, you know, aware of of the importance of the game, but but you know just to be really focused on, on, on it at all. It's not, it wasn't a celebration thing. It was there. We were there to do a job. We were there to win a game. And the three games with Leicester taught me that. The first two, it was like a day out, you know. Oh, here we are, we're at Wembley, and, and it doesn't matter what happens. It does. I, I've, I, you know, I'd lost twice at Wembley. God, it's a horrible place to lose at. And I was determined that wasn't going to happen again. So um, certainly with the Villa, when I got there, there was only one focus, one at all, and that was getting the team to be organised and teaching them that we're here to win a game of football, end of story, but to be relaxed and to be happy and to be comfortable. Um, and and I personally felt happy being in the, the hotel that I was in. I didn't want to stay right next to Wembley. I wanted to be away from it. You know, I wanted the lads to have a little game of snooker and things like that if they wanted to. I wanted a relaxation thing. Uh, I wanted them to smile as they're walking around the place, not to be worried uh, so they couldn't see the ground from outside and things like that, you know, just... And it all went to plan, so that was what it was all about. Did it require a kind of Churchill-like speech? Did you did you tend to write team talks in advance or did it all just flow naturally? No, all, always... I wouldn't say off the cuff because I think I'm fairly organised, but I would always... Uh, there was all, I, 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 like I say, man management. I was quite good at saying to people, "Don't forget how he plays." You know, I know you played this way last week, but this player's different, so treat him different. Um, uh, that was pretty much how I was as a player. I knew when I played against certain people, you know, that their strengths and their weaknesses. Um, uh, you got to go back in in those days. You know, you go back even to '96. We we our our rundown on Leeds United was three pieces of paper. Three pieces of paper with about six to twenty words on any individual player, and a few diagrams on on half a dozen of their free kicks or set pieces. The, compared to today, how you can analyse everything, it, it was so basic it was untrue. So basically, what you said to people was massively important, you know, um, uh, and 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 that that's how it was in those days. You know, it was my my. My team selection, if I had a team selection problem, had to be had to be spot on. It wasn't influenced by me sitting watching, uh, you know, twenty games of Leeds United play against somebody. Um, it, it wasn't influenced by you know the analysts saying to me, "Oh, it's uh, whoa, he does this, he does that, he does the other." It was purely what's in there, and that's how it was in those days. You know, um, 
you 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 had to you had to back yourself. You had to back your own opinions. Um, you you didn't really trust. Not trust. That's the wrong. You didn't really have to, to to. You couldn't value other people's opinions too highly, because if it wasn't right, you know, um, if people can prove things by showing you things now today. An analyst could prove anything to you. Uh, back in those days, you know, somebody might have an opinion completely different to yours. Now, you had to back yourself all the time. So everything that was done in those days was was um, not a hundred percent down to me because I had Alan and John with me. But there wasn't many of us, <laughs> you know. It was, you know, our opinion on how we should play, what the team should be. Get out there and show them what you can do. End of story. Were you surprised with how resounding a result and performance it became? No, we were just ready for it. I, I could tell we were ready for it. Uh, and there was little rumours about, oh, someone sent someone down from Leeds to watch what you're doing, and we used to laugh at it. We used to make a laugh and a joke about it. And we say, right, we'll see you in the snooker table later on. And we just, you know, just, well, if they're watching us, we're just playing snooker all day. That's all we're going to do today. We just had it. But, you know, that was, our ment- that was our mentality in those days. We just, you know, just got on with it. We were ready to play anybody, anywhere, at any time. And um, we were happy to do that. We were flying. It just, you know, we, just, we were just really, really going along. It was on a crest of a wave. And we were as good as most of the other teams. You know, we had a couple of injuries, which, which made it a little bit more difficult. I remember Gary Charles getting injured at the end of the season, which really put a dampener on the season for us. Um, and and then that, that made the last few games very difficult for us because we were all worried about Gary at the time. He had a nasty injury. Um, but we were we were happy. We were just happy in our own skins at that time. When Savo spanks that one in to open the scoring, camera obviously pans to the dugout where you're sitting there, and this little corner, <laughs> little beam of delight upon your face. Can you can you still picture that moment? Yeah, of course I can. I, 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 like you, I've seen it a few times, you know. And um, yeah, you 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 can. Uh, it, it was a you know, Milosevic got a lot of criticism, but how can how can you know, when he when he left us, he went for eight point something million. When he went wherever he went, he went from somewhere for twenty five million euros a year. After that, um, he scored thirty, nearly forty goals in one hundred and sixteen, one hundred and fifteen games, something like that. That's that's not bad going. Him and his strike partner were outrageously good. Um, I, no, I think you know Savo was a lovely fella. Um, uh, brilliant lad he was only a kid at the time in all fairness to him and him and Yorkie were magnificent um, so it was great to see him score that game you know he was he was he, he, I don't I'm saying he was treated badly because um, he wasn't um, it just a bit misunderstood wasn't he really in many respects and it was difficult for him and you know for someone to come into into this country many all those years ago at a time when we didn't have the facilities that have today uh he, he, he did great. He did he did fantastic for us. So I was really pleased for him um, more than anything else. Steve Staunton and, and Tommy Tommy Johnson are the first ones when the final whistle blows to leap on the goal scorers and to get involved in the hugs yeah. and the celebrations. That that's it's not, I know it's a team game and a squad game, but yeah. that that must be great. That even your subs who must we were disappointed at not getting onto the field bought into that moment as much as the ones who started. Yeah, but, but you know, we were a small squad in those days and everybody played their part. Everybody had games. I mean, Tommy came in and out of lots of games. Stan came in and out of lots of games. 
Um, uh, so they were very much involved and very much part of it. The hardest thing was picking the team, you know, because um, even though there's only two people and those two people are going to be on the bench, um, uh, you know, we were still in an era where everybody wanted to play every single game. People didn't accept having a, a rest and that in those days, you know, hence the team throughout the, the tournament, you know, all the way through, um, there might be one change in, in, in the games. Um, so they were very much, very, very involved with it, very close to it. Um, I think if anybody was majorly disappointed out of the three, it would have been Stan, you know, Staunton. He, he, he wanted to play all the time and that, that's not a fault of his. That's, that's tribute to him. You know, he was a blooming good player. Um, uh, uh, so you know, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised. We all we were very together, very much in it, um, and it, yeah, it, it, it's you know, winning at Wembley, and and for those who've witnessed it, is it's just great. Um, for those who haven't, they've missed something in their whole career. You know, it's a, it, it's 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 just an incredible feeling, really. Did you celebrate together, or did you just let the lads? Get on with it and, well, and do their own was, thing. You no, know, the, the thing was, we we did have a we have a we did have a get together, but basically, some of the lads had to leave to go off to international duty. If I, I mean, if I remember right, I'm sure I'm not wrong, but we had um, we had a, 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 a do fixed up in London that night. But basically, uh, quite a few of the lads went off to inter- on internationals. Gareth and them would have gone off, um, uh, and and they came back on Friday. I think we played Liverpool either on the Saturday or the Sunday in the semi-final. So that was my first experience of losing a lot of players the week before a massively important game. Um, and then that, that we never quite... I don't know. I, you could argue, did we get it right or not? I, I don't know. I'm not going to go in, down that road. But, you know, we, we won a final, lost a good 60% of our team who turned up on Friday... And I, 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 I can't remember whether the game was Saturday or Sunday. It certainly wasn't. We didn't have any preparation for the game at all against Liverpool in the semi-final. Uh, but that—that's that was—that's what success brought you, didn't it? And really, it does even today. You know, the, the games just get bigger. We didn't really—I can't say we didn't handle the next game very well. We were a bit unlucky. Gareth got injured, and then they scored. Uh, probably should have come off the pitch, but didn't in the in the semi-final. So we had no, no. There was a celebration of sorts. I don't think we could, we we couldn't really just, you know, throw caution to the wind. I think a lot of the lads. I'm sure some of the lads left before midnight. We're, we're away, we're away. Had to leave that night, um, uh, and and we didn't get together until the thir- the Thursday or the fr- Friday. It would have been um, before the the Liverpool game, which was the semi final of the FA Cup. Um, but it was, uh, yeah. I I I I don't. I've never really been wanting to celebrate and that much me, really, to be honest. Um, I, I'd, I'd probably have had a couple of drinks and, and, and got on with it, but it wasn't a night I remember overly well. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't think I... Well, I know I didn't. I know I didn't, wasn't jumping up and down and, and getting drunk and things like that. I know it wasn't. Um, and I, I don't think I took too much notice of what anyone else did, to be honest, I think. Um I, I, I probably then, knowing me as I, as I was then, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot different now. I'm far more chilled now than I ever was. Um, I, I think I would have been thinking about the Liverpool game then. I think I'd have been thinking about what do I do for that and um, wanting to win that. It never happened. We lost. Um, but I wasn't 
I wasn't celebrating as such. Have you got any mementos of that? Have you got a medal or a, a yeah, team probably. sheet? Or? Uh, no, I've got a medal. I, I don't know what I did with everything else. I don't I don't know. Um, I, 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 no, I, I, I haven't got very much at all. I have the medal, um, the Coca-Cola Cup medal. I, I, I've, you know something? I, again, now, loads of people message me and ask me about, oh, have you, have you kept that? Have you got this? Have you got any shirts? Have you got the not a thing i've never i was never one for <coughs> so you know i mean I, I occasionally now try and get older things myself i've given a lot of things to people who were friends of mine over the years i remember giving my england shirt to, to a friend of mine and he went what i said no you look at you have that mate you look after it i never got any more fool <laughs> i should have kept it shouldn't I really? <laughs> but never i know and he knows that i know who he is and he knows that i know who he is so i've never forgotten but i am perfectly happy with where it is perfectly happy you've told me this story before brian but it makes me laugh so i want you to tell it me again if you can just just the, the sasha church reason for missing a game once oh my god sasha god <laughs> love him he was brilliant wasn't he well it, it just Sasha was brilliant. I mean, I, I remember when he turned up, he, you know, his first training session, he jumped up and down, dribbled past a couple of people and stood there and went, oh, how much I pay for him? And he stood there and went, four million pounds. And I thought, oh, no, don't do that. I remember looking at Tommy Johnson and Mark Draper and Tails and them who, who were the best of pals. And Sasha, I, you know, it looked as if he was coming in to try and be a real threat to Tommy. Um, so I remember thinking, oh, God, they're going to have him. And I thought that's that's Sasha got off on the wrong foot straight away. Anyway, as the season progressed, he, he, we always had a, a few problems with him here and then. And then I, I remember Jim Walker, who was my number one go-to man for the players. If anything was wrong, if they felt ill or anything, ring Jim. He'll sort it out. So I get a call. I don't know, middle of the night, might have been midnight, might have been two in the morning. I can't remember, but it was I've been well asleep, and it's Jim. So I've looked at my phone. Oh, Jim, better take it. Hi, Jim. All right. Uh, not really, after now. Um, I said, what's up, Jim? He said, it's Sasha. I said, he's all right, isn't he? He was all right this morning. Yeah. Um, uh, he's in London. I said, London? What's he, what's he doing in London? And, and and Jim got these next five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten words out as quick as he could and put the phone down. And he's in London. He's having a nose job in the morning and he can't play tomorrow. Boom, put the phone down. <laughs> so he's gone to London He's decided to have a new nose and he wasn't available. And I found out after that he wasn't available for eight weeks. He couldn't play for eight weeks after he's had a nose job. And that was just, that was the sort of thing that Sasha did. He just, uh, I, but Jim was that embarrassed. He just said the last bit that quick, slammed the phone down and thought, oh, thank God, because I'm not going to listen to what he's going to say to me after that. Because I could have said to him, get yourself down there and get him out of the hospital or whatever, you know. But, he just, and then, you know, weeks later, when he was over all that, he went down and had his teeth done and couldn't play for two weeks after that sort of thing because he had new teeth. I mean, oh, honestly, he was he, he was a nightmare. I, I, again, what a talent, lovely lad. Um, but the, the, again, and again, in those days, we managed to keep that fairly quiet, you know, um, which is unbelievable, really. And in, in today, you know, think about that today, it's got no chance, hasn't it? So, but Sasha was... I think he wanted to look good. You know, he, he'd become this professional player in the Premier League, um, playing for Aston Villa, um, and he decided he needed a nose, a nose job. But he, he did it in the middle of the season, disappeared straight down to London, and that was it. 
the sort of things that players just give you nightmares over. I don't think it would happen today, in, in all fairness, but um, 25 years ago, good grief. What was your what was your best signing at Villa, pound for pound, in terms of what they what they delivered, what, what they did for the dressing room, what they did on the pitch, uh, and not giving you too much of a headache to manage away from the pitch? Uh, Gareth, without a doubt, Southgate. I, I, I think I love Draper. I mean, Mark's, I, I think the world of Mark as a person, um, you know, righty and Charlo for the for for what they cost us were were brilliant. Um, um, tales for what he gave the club. Again, I loved them all, but but Gareth, you know, listening to Doug and I can't remember what the chairman of Crystal Palace was called um, at the time. But Ron Rhodes was it back then? Was it? Ah, that's him. Yeah, it was like listening to two car salesmen on a, on a, on, a, on a, trying to buy a Ford Capri off each other or something like that. You know, like, well, I'll give you no, no. Well, if you give me this, I'll give you that sort of thing. And it, oh, in the end, uh, I, I can't remember. I think they, in the end, I think they are they, they came down to two point two five million or something like that. Um, but it, honestly, it was crazy listening to the pair of them. I'm listening to the phone call, but. Um, Gareth was just the, the day I met him, the day he came in, the day I saw him play against us. He played in midfield, I know, but I just I knew he could play in different positions. Um, I, 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 Southgate, I have to say, and his progression was 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 immense. You know, his his progression from <clears throat> coming in as a potential midfield player, stroke fullback, stroke centre off, to 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 cement in that position uh, alongside Paul McGrath and Hugo Eggio. Uh, and I never had to tell Gareth. We had a principle of how to play, but I didn't have to tell Gareth anything. He he sensed danger uh, very naturally. He 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 come out with the ball naturally. Um, no, he, he was a super signing. Uh, yeah, best without a doubt. Yeah, because it, he was just uh, and, and and a great, lovely person, brilliant man, uh, very studious. Uh, and great in the dressing room, would have a laugh in it. It was part of the laughs and jokes and everything, well and truly in, in with all the fun that went on. But at the same time, uh, ultra-professional. So Gareth would, would have to go to the top of the tree for that. And the final final thing, Brian, I was going to ask you, because you, you've sat here patiently and indulged us for however long, an hour and 45 minutes, blimey. Mm. Can you just, you've touched on it previously about kind of growing, probably growing a little bit weary and a bit jaded from managing Aston Villa. Just talk us through the kind of the, your mindset then in the last kind of couple of months and how and why you left eventually. I think things just got on top of me. You know, I, 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 um, <clears throat> I look back at that and when you think back in those days, I'd been managing for 10 years. Um, I did more or less everything. You know, I mean, um, as a manager in those days, um, I think looking after the team probably was... 20% of my role, 20% max, dealing with the press, all on my own, dealing with Doug, all on my own, dealing with agents, all on my own, dealing with the players for contracts, all on my own, um, scouting for players with the help of my chief scout, but basically on on my say-so, on my really going out and looking at them. I think the 10 years of that, and um, I, I just shattered just totally shattered, just tired, um, and uh, and I wasn't happy at home. You know, my home life wasn't great at the time, so it was a massive, massive combination of 10 years absolutely 
100% to the, my, my job. Um, and I, I just, I, I was just, I couldn't see the simple thing. And that's what that's what aggravated me more than anything else. You know, not not doesn't aggravate me. But when I look, when John came, John made pretty much one change to the team. You know, uh, I think John Levin might have had a lot to do with it as well. You know, I'd lost a, someone who was very important to me. But John came in uh, and put little henders in the team and went back to that more solid four five three two that I used to play all the time. I'd I'd had to adjust because I had Stan uh, Collymore. Um, Dwight and Sabo, and I used to try and play them all the time. So there was something right under my nose that I that I, I I'd lost little track of, and I think that was tiredness more than anything else. Um, but that that period from February till the end of the season, I think John's major change was just putting little Henders in the team, little little Lee Hendry, who was a bloody good player in fairness to him. Um, but he just wasn't ready for me. I kept saying to Lee. You know, he was a little bit of a lad, wasn't he? <laughs> and I used to say, just behave yourself. Just behave yourself and I'll put you in the team. And then when I put him in the team, he got sent off the first game. He only been on 20 minutes and he got sent off. <laughs> you remind him of that. I mean, he did. He got sent off at Queen's Park Rangers, went on, got booked twice in 20 minutes. And, and I'm like, what are you doing? You know? We spoke to Lee about that because we've had Lee on as a guest in the last yeah. six months and we spoke to him and he says he, he, he trudged, he was at QPR, wasn't he? So he trudged, yes. trudged, he's trudged down the track, gone into the tunnel, into the dressing room and um, I think Ray Wilkins was a player manager at QPR and he says, Ray Wilkins has come and put his arm around his shoulder and said, you know, that's football, you'll learn. And he says, he said, when you came in, you kind of gave him daggers and he thought, oh God, you know, what have I done here? So but what what he said since then, Brian, is that I think he plays golf with you occasionally yeah, or the, your, your mates now. Years, yeah. And he says he, he just can't believe the difference, Brian Little, the manager, yeah. to Brian Little, no, I've the non-manager. I'm totally sort of chilled out with my life now, totally. To be what I was as a manager, I had to be very focused and very serious about things. Um because of how I am as a person, how I was as a player, I had to. It was almost as if I was what, what was that fellow who stood in front of the mirror and changed his and it was a different man every time he changed his job, sort of thing. He got put different clothes on. I can't remember what it's called, Mr. Ben or something. Well, I can't remember. Yeah, anyway. Mr. Ben, uh, yeah. yeah, I had to when I, when I was a football manager, basically, you know, every day I put a collar and tie on, every day I had my. I hit every day. I had a shave every day, and that's really not me, you know. So it, it, it was hard, but I was focused and I was ready for it. And and when that began to wane towards the end, that on top of the, you know, ten years of unbelievably hard, and it was hard work. I worked my socks off for ten years, um, uh, and then I. But now I'm 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 back to being how I was before. You know, um, I'm just me now. I do what I want when I want. And nobody can tell me to do anything else unless my wife walks in now. Then, <laughs> then I'll get the kettle on, <laughs> cook the dinner, <laughs> wash up. <laughs> can I just ask, how did you communicate this to Doug? What What was that like when you you said? No, I Doug didn't. I, I couldn't be bothered. No, I just that's I just that was it. I was that's it. I'm off. I, I, that's me. So I just walked in. I'm off. I'm finished. That's it. I'll bring the car back tomorrow. You can have it back. I I, I just had enough. Just. There's just a couple of things that I think actually the day I left, Gareth Barry was signing pro, so that was that was an important thing to finish off. But I, I was just I was I remember being I, I remember driving down the ground and I just that was it. Um, 
there was a few things going on that were chewing my chewing me up, and I just thought that's it, I've had enough now. And once I've made my mind up like that, that's it. I just I'm stubborn then. I just you know I'm going to do it no matter what. Um, I, I didn't I didn't explain anything to. Him. I mean, in fairness, Doug, he did say, look, I, just stay. Stay, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to ring John. We'll fetch John back if that'll help you, things like that. He was brilliant. But I just said, no, look, look, I really need a breather now. And I actually thought I would take, I actually thought I would have taken a year out of football. In fact, looking back from a football point of view, I should have took a year out. Um, from a personal point of view, um, it's the best thing I've ever done because, you know, of other things in my life that have changed. No, well, thank you so much for doing it all on your own terms because, you know, speak, I could be having seen you as a manager and, you know, you've given us some of the, the, the best memories. Part of that managerial dynasty, if you like, with like during the 90s of Ron Atkinson, <coughs> yourself, um, John Gregory, you know, really, really exciting time. Big regret from me that I'm having to dig out little clips here and there on YouTube because I've never got to see the brilliance of, of Brian Little in... Um, in the flesh, but I'll I'll leave you with this, Brian. And this is just stupid nonsense that anybody who listens to our podcast will probably recognise. But Brian Little walks on water. What are you actually like on water? Are you a good swimmer? Are you a good canoeist? Do you like going off ferries? Do you get seasick? How are you with water? I can swim. Um, I have been sick on a ferry once before, but that was because I'd had a few drinks and and too much to eat. And we, we took off in, I remember... I remember the captain going, um, it's a bit choppy out there, but we're going to give it a go. And I was thinking, oh, my God. And I was sick. But now I'm all right. I'm, I'm, I'm OK. Generally pretty good. Water doesn't bother me, to be honest. I like walking in the rain. I love playing football in the rain when I was a kid. But I like walking in the rain with my dogs. It's great because there's nobody about. You just, you're drenched and it's just lovely. So, um, no, I'm all right with water, mate. No problem. <laughs> well, you can probably go and get, get yourself a glass of water or a cup of tea or something stronger now. Thanks so much for uh, being such brilliant value, Brian. I hope it hasn't been. I hope it's, I hope it's been as enjoyable for you as it has for us taking a, taking a stroll down memory lane. So, until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. This has been the Clarence Blue Podcast with the legend that is Mr. Brian Little. Up the villa. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode, but until then, up the villa. Up the villa.